Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camarillo. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. Well, if you've been awake for the past few months, um, just with everything that's been going on in our world, you've probably wondered this question, as I have too, what in the world is God doing? How many of you have thought that? Or asked that I pretty much see all the hands going up I continue to wonder that um, with everything that happens with um, the riots the protests the pandemic the you know spread of COVID-19 all of these things kind of all at once and everyone's lives just being changed left and right what in the world is God doing and we can all have our speculations and I guess these are some of the things that have just crossed my minds, and I'm sure you probably have some of your own speculations, but maybe I wondered, is it God's judgment upon evil in the world? Is it God's judgment upon our nation here? I don't know. Um, Is God preparing the American church for persecution? You know, we've had to shift uh, most things online, especially for a season. We were doing 100% online, and, you know, is there going to come a time where we're not able to meet together in person for other reasons or for reasons of of persecution? Or is God using this time to get his word out further as all the churches have had to shift to uh, getting their sermons out online, their services on the internet? Uh, No doubt uh, God's word has gone out uh, further than it's ever been all around the world. Is God bringing families closer together just as people have had more time and and less activities to go to, less events to have to be at? Is God using this time to uh, cause families to bond together a little bit more? Or is this just a time where we're just, our world is kind of in confusion as to how to handle everything? And it's God's way of of saying, hey, guess what? You can't figure everything out. Um, I've, I've felt that. I've sensed that. Uh, there's so many different speculations as to we could be here all day. Uh, what in the world is God doing? We could, we could talk about this for quite a while. But I'm reminded of what it says in Isaiah 55. God says, he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As far as, as high as the heavens are above the earth so are my ways higher than your ways. That to me says that we cannot figure out the mind of God. There's no way we can really ultimately know everything that God is doing. John Piper said this. He said, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you might be aware of three of them. I think that's, that's a, good, uh, a good observation of John Piper, and actually that's exactly what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at three ways that God is working, three things that he is doing that he always does. So no matter what we're thinking about what God's doing in the world, these are three things that we're going to look at from God's word that God is always doing. He's always doing these three things no matter what, and we see them in Jeremiah 16, Verses 14 through 21, I encourage you to take out a Bible if you brought one or um, pull up your phone, your, your Bible on your phone. Jeremiah 16, 
14 through 21, we're continuing uh, this series called um, The Road to Re uh, Restoration. We're looking at how God continually restores our lives, re restores us spiritually over and over again. The first week we looked at God's incredible, steadfast love for us, His constant, never-changing love, which is the basis for His restoration work in our lives. And last week we looked at how we are restored for a purpose. Uh, we, we looked at uh, Isaiah 58. We also talked about Ephesians 2, about how God has saved us by grace alone. It is only through his grace, only through faith and trust in Jesus Christ that we are saved, that we can get to heaven. Uh, but God created us for a purpose. He created us for good works. And today we're looking at this topic uh, as we look at restoration, God restoring us spiritually, but how, how does God do that? What is he always doing? What is the restorative work that he is always doing? So Jeremiah 16, 14 through 21. It says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country, and out of all the countries where he had driven them. For I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them for every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. But first, I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin, because they have polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols, and have filled my inheritance with their abominations. O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things, in which there is no profit. Can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. Therefore, behold, I will make them know. This once I will make them know my power and my might. They shall know that my name is the Lord. God, I pray you would take these words, speak to us. I pray that you would pierce through to our hearts. We thank you that your word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, and we pray that you would use it today to accomplish your purposes in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is God always doing? Well, what we see here are three things that God is always doing, and the first is that God is always doing something new. Now, the Israelites, as we see in verse 14, they had an old, sorry, an amazing but old story that they continue to tell. It says in verse 14, uh, they told this story. They would continue to say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now, most of you probably know that story. Many of you probably do. When God led his people um, out of the land of Egypt, they were in bond, had been in bondage uh, to, to in Egypt in slavery, and God uh, rose up Moses and Aaron to lead his people. God uh, brought plagues upon 
Egypt, and he eventually led them out of that land. And uh, the, the biggest, the, the climax of that story was when they came to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army decided to chase after them. And they're standing there at the edge of the Red Sea, and, and God does this amazing thing that they would tell, the story that they would tell for centuries, that he parted the Red Sea, and the Israelites, uh, probably close to two million of them altogether, crossed, crossed over the Red Sea on dry land. What a story to tell, right? They, God delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians, and, and he, they continued to tell that story. In fact, they celebrated that every year. Uh, what God had done as he led them out of Egypt. But God's telling them in verse 15, I'm going to give you a new story to tell. It says in verse 15, he says, you, you will no longer say the God who brought you out of Egypt. But verse 15, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. And what he's talking about here, what he's telling Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is, is getting the inside scoop on what's going to be happening, and Jeremiah is God's prophet to go to the people and speak to the people. But what he's talking about here is that God's going to come in judgment upon his people for their rebellion against him and lead them out of the land where God had originally brought them because it's one thing to tell that amazing story about how God led them out of Egypt and eventually into the promised land. But when you're in the promised land and you're continuing to rebel against God, God needs to write a new story. And this story that he's writing for the Israelites, he's going to bring judgment upon them. He's going to bring oppression upon them and, and lead them off. Uh, they're going to uh, be invaded and be led off to captivity in, in, uh, in Babylon. And they would be there for a long time and, and be strangers in this foreign land. But God did not leave them there. He's going to give them this new story to tell that God has brought us back. As we have come before him in repentance, as we have cried out to him, God's going to bring us back. God's giving us each a new story to tell. Even right now. I came across this this past week, and I think it's just so fitting and to put into perspective um, all the things that we're facing in our world today, the hardships we're facing, the uncertainties of the future, and each of maybe each of us carrying our own weight of a burden, of whatever that might be, our own areas of suffering. That said, encourage us to think. Imagine this. Imagine that you were born in 1900. And when you're 14, World War I begins and ends when you're 18, with 22 million people dead. Soon after that, a global pandemic, the Spanish flu appears, killing 50 million people. At that point, you're 20 years old. And then, when you're 29, you survive the global economic crisis that started with the collapse of the New York Stock Exchange, causing inflation, unemployment, and famine. And then, when you're 33 years old, the Nazis come to power. 
when you're 39, World War II begins. And it ends when you're 45 with 60 million dead. In the Holocaust, 6 million Jews die. Then when you're 52, the Korean War begins. When you're 64, the Vietnam War begins and ends when you're 75. And then to think a child of the 80s, like me, can think that his grandparents have no idea how difficult life is, yet their generation has survived several wars and catastrophes. Can we survive what we're facing right now? Absolutely. Is God going to tell a new story? He's continued to st tell stories through the ages of the ways that he has come and taken care of his people and rescued his people. And that's what we see here in Jeremiah 16. Are catastrophes going to continue to happen? Are we going to see another global pandemic in our life? We might, but God does not end the story there. He's continuing to give us new stories to tell, and he's giving the nation of Israel a new story to tell because they would come to him in repentance, cry out to him, confession of their sin as they were living in this foreign land as exiles. And God would bring them back. He would restore them. He says, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Each one of us have a new story that God wants to continue to tell in our lives. And you can fill in the blank wherever it is for you, whatever hardship you're facing, whatever it is that, uh, what is your story right now of, of the pain and suffering that you might be facing, the hardships, the challenges, whatever it might be, God's going to give you a new story, just as he did for the Israelites. No longer will it be the, the Lord who brought us out of Egypt, but the Lord who brought us out of the north country, back to the, to the land that he has given us. Maybe it's something different for you. Something new that God is doing. Ways that he's working and is writing a new story for you. Where you'll be able to look back and see God's hand at work in your life. His faithfulness upon you. How he walked with you through grief, through pain, through suffering, through hardships, through whatever it, might, whatever it is that you're facing. So first, God is always doing something new. Second, God is always dealing with our sin. It's the second thing that God always does, without doubt. He is always dealing with our sin. And that was part of the Israelite story. That's part of why God had a new story to tell, is because his people continue to mess up. His people continue to rebel. He's always writing a new story because we're always making new problems for ourselves. What does it say about dealing with our sins? He says, Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord. Now we, maybe in your mind, what pops in your mind is, oh, the fishers of men, right? I will make you fishers of men. Well, this is, this is not that happy song that we sing. This is fishers that, and hunters that are going to come after God's people because they've rebelled against him and lead them off into exile. Verse 17 says, For my eyes 
are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. But first, I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin because they have polluted my land with carcasses of their detestable idols and filled my inheritance with their abominations. And I have to get a note that just flew away. I didn't plan very well. Maybe Alex will get it for me. He's done this before, so he knows that sometimes the wind can blow away our notes. What about idols? What about idols? I think sometimes we can hear this and hear about the sin of Israel, the iniquity, says, that is not hidden from God's eyes. And we can sit back, even in our day, we can sit back and look at the broken world around us and point fingers. We know where God wants to start his work for each one of us in our own hearts and among each one of us and even in the church. I think of Nehemiah, Nehemiah in the Old Testament when he heard about the destruction of Jerusalem and the walls had been torn down. The first thing he did is he fell to his knees and he prayed and the first thing he did was confessed. He confessed his own sin. He confessed the sins of his people. And here in Jeremiah 16, God specifically, specifically calls out the people's idols, detestable idols, he says. Now in our minds, we might think of some actual physical thing that you're bowing down to, but that isn't always the case for us. Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, describes idols in several ways. And I want you just to listen to this. This isn't a fun thing to hear, but listen to what he says. He says, one way he describes it, when anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it is essentially an idol, something you are actually worshiping. Or there's another description he gives. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. I know for me, it's, this has been a season where God's continued to examine my own heart. Where are the idols in my life? And it can be something little. It can be something big. It can be as little as this past week when I discovered that all my coffee filters were out. I discovered that at like 10 o'clock at night. What am I going to do? And Christy gently said, well, you still have your pour over that you could do. You have some filters for that. Like, yeah, but that only makes one cup. I want like six cups in the morning. I want to set the timer and be able to get up and just have my coffee. That's what my heart truly was saying. As much as it wasn't a big deal. That's what my heart said. I love coffee that much. Or it could be something on a greater scale. You just that pursuit of thing after thing 
that you think is going to make you happy. If you just buy that one item, that one toy, whatever it is. Sometimes we can even make our religion an idol. I love to read God's word, but I also kind of just like the quiet of the morning. And what if that quiet of the morning is taken away from me? Is God's word still enough? Absolutely. I wanted, selfishly, to be back inside the sanctuary today. But if I can't worship God in other places, or outdoors, or if it's just not as comfortable, or whatever, whatever it is, can that also be an idol? The way we do things, the way we serve God, the way we worship God? Absolutely. How many of you have prayed Psalm 139 recently? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And that be your prayer. May God use this time right now, this morning, to search your heart. Or sometime on your own today or this week, make that your prayer. God, would you search my heart? Would you know me? and see if there's any evil or wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because when we do that, when God deals with our sins, points out our sins, Holy Spirit convicts us, we fall before him like Nehemiah did. What happens? What happens? Well, the third thing that God always does is God is always drawing us back to himself. God is always drawing us back to himself when he's convicted us. When we realize that chasing after anything in this world is not enough, is not going to satisfy, we come back to him, we fall on our knees before him and realize that he is all that we need. And this is what Jeremiah realized as he realized what was going to be happening to God's people, the people of Israel, how they would be judged for their sin, but then as they would turn to him and, and God would lead them back to the land that he had given them, he would restore them as they would repent and turn to him. And even as he's hearing this dark word from the Lord about what's going to happen, what they're going to go through, this was his response. Verse 19, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble. To you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. Is that something that God's been doing in the last several months? Showing us? how worthless the things of this earth are. Showing us what things we've made so important, exposing the idols, the things that we worship here on this earth. That's one of the things God is doing. And in the process, as we're convicted, he draws us back to himself. And not only each one of us, but he is doing a great work around the world, whether we see it or not, to draw people to himself. Verse 21, 
Therefore, behold, this is what God says, I will make them know. This once I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. This is kind of parallel to what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. It says that one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now what we see here in Jeremiah 16 is that God's going to make them know. He's going to make all people know. And in Philippians 2, it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Everyone will. Even unbelievers, those who are unbelieving right now, will one day see and know. But right now is the chance. Right now is the opportunity to truly know and to truly believe and to come before God day after day. Whether you have done this before or not, or maybe you've never come and and knelt before God and cried out to him for forgiveness, cried out to him in confession of your sins because you know that he is God and that only he satisfies and it is only him who saves us because of what Jesus Christ did when he came to this earth and went to the cross for your sins and for my sins. That's how God drew us back to himself ultimately was through his son, Jesus Christ, so that we would not have to take that punishment, so that we would have not have to face that judgment, the wrath of God he poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. And each one of us can come and confess, bow before him, confess that he is Lord, and he can enter our lives and he can fill us. He can satisfy us. He can continue to do that over and over again. And as we then go back sometimes, we go back maybe to our idols. We rebel against him. We stray from him. He continues to work in our hearts, continues to write a new story, continues to convict us of our sins, and we can come back to him. But one day is coming when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And sometimes you wonder, what is God waiting for? Not just what is God doing, but what's God waiting for? I was reminded of what Second Peter says. And this really shows us God's character and his great love and his longing to save us, his longing to restore us. Second Peter 3, starting at verse 8, says, But do not look, overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What's God doing? He's being patient with us. He's giving us 
that opportunity day after day to come back to him and bow before him, confessing our sins and receiving his forgiveness. He's given each one of us, giving you that opportunity today to do the same, to come and to know him, to, be, to have a new story to tell, to have a new story to tell. We just read earlier, behold, God says, I am doing a new thing. Let's continue to let him do his thing. How many of you remember that old cartoon? Kind of shows the era that I grew up. But uh, Pinky and the Brain. Some of you, maybe that's resurfacing a little bit. Those two mice that... uh, They're always trying to take over the world, right? That's what they say. Every episode starts with uh, Pinky, kind of the the silly one, Uh, and then there's Brain, who's he's like really confident in himself, and like he's always scheming, and he's the one that's trying to come up with their plan to take over the world. But Pinky would always ask him every night, "So Brain, what are we going to do tonight?" And Brain would say, "Same thing we do every night, Pinky." Try to take over the world. I think about if we asked God every day, God, what are you going to do today? Because sometimes we get up, especially some of these days we've been facing, it's like, oh, what's going to happen today? But if we woke up with expectancy to say, God, what are you going to do today? His response is the same thing I do every day. I'm going to love my people. And I'm going to bring people, draw people unto myself. I'm going to save people. And I'm going to use you in the process. I'm going to use you in that new story that I'm telling. So let's go forth today knowing that God is actively working. There are 10,000 different ways that he's working. But these three ways, I want you to remember these three ways today, that God is always working. Let's pray. Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us conviction where we need conviction. And as we come to you, as we confess before you our failures, our regrets, how we've turned from you, how we've strayed from you. You invite us back. And I pray, God, that as we go forth today, Lord, that we would go forth confidence knowing that we are saved because of what Jesus Christ has done for us and that your mercies are new every morning. I pray that each day we would wake up with expectancy of the ways that you are going to continue to work, how you are going to just continue to do what you've always done. Give us that confidence. Give us that faith. In Jesus' name, amen.